May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Guk Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Pupa of Guk Audio and Guk Archives, doing our bit to preserve the legacy of Shinju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind? I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Jim Musman. Uh, Jim came to Zen Center in 1970, an unusual route via Japan, where he was attending his third year of medical school and got to know Suzuki students Carl Bielfeld and Fred Stober and Carl's wife, Fumiko. And then uh, when he came back to America, they were living near Zen Center in the city. Uh, and, you know, they said, when you come, look us up. So he did, and he stayed with them. And uh, he was there a number of years. Uh, and we'll hear about his Buddhist path and his anti-nuclear activity, um, which, uh, you know, was around the time of the nuclear freeze. And I was involved with it uh, around that same time. And um, he's a uh, doctor now in... Uh, New Rochelle, New York, uh, and he practices there with the empty hand Zendo in New Rochelle. So uh, as soon as we've had our pause to meditate, we'll give Jim Musman a call. And um, you may notice rain when we are talking to him, because even though we're going to call him after the pause to meditate, we jump in time back a few months and call him. And back then, it was raining. And a few times the rain increases, you'll hear it. It's really good. I didn't try to take it out. I like it. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you like. And when you're ready to come back, hit unpause. And we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever. And we'll give Jim Musman, James Musman, a call. Dr. James Musman, a call. I wonder if it, I think it might be even Dr. James R. Musman. Is that him? Let me look it up. M-U-S-S-M. James R. Musman. Dr. James R. Messman. Hey, good for you, Jim.
Hello. Hi, Jim. David, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? All right. All right. Gee, we haven't talked in a long time. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The funny thing I was thinking about, I, was, I remember that time you were trying to save money on some body work. You had me um, get rid of that rust of the roof of your car. Yeah. And I was I was laughing to myself about it because it's like it became this community project because everybody has some advice to give. And, you know, I just carried out all the advice. And um, I guess after a few months, it rusted through again. That's what you told me. Is that right? Uh, yeah. It, it, I remember that. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, you know why? Because I, I, I had a luggage rack on it. And it was, yeah, the, it was just a Honda Accord. So, uh, when they put the luggage rack in, you know, they screwed into it. Uh, but, uh, that isn't what finally did it in. Um, uh, yeah, that was a sad, I loved that car, Honda Accord. A sad, uh, uh, end to its life. So hey Jim, what 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 are you up yeah. to? What are you up to now? Well, okay. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a, kind of like a general practitioner. You know, I I see people for all sorts of things. Hey Jim, and then I see Jim. Wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, you're very echoey now. Oh, hang on. I'll, I'll be. I'm. I'll be, I'm on a stairway. I'm almost in the office. Hang on. Oh yeah. Okay. Hang on. It's going to be a lot better. Yeah. Hang on. It's this is a staircase. I was just getting out of my car. Ha <laughs> ha. Hang on. Yeah. Now it's better now, right? Yeah. So anyway, where I'm at, I'm in New Rochelle, New York. You've probably driven through it, right? I don't know. Uh, Are you- I haven't spent well, anyway, a lot of time just, on the East it's Coast. It's just on the outskirts of the Bronx. Yeah. You, you know Highway 95, right? Yeah, you take 95 towards... If you're taking 95 towards Connecticut, it's like one of the first few towns that you go to. Hmm. Hmm. After you leave the Bronx. What, what are you doing there? So it's the... It's the... You know, so I'm a doctor. I went to medical school. What? They raised the kept the raising the rates of my taxi cab and stuff. So I just decided to go to medical school. That is so great. I know. I was really impressed when you did that. (laughs) (laughs) Tired of driving a taxi cab, so you became a doctor. That is great. <laughs> and what sort of doctor are you, and what are you doing, and you know, with it there? I'm a, I'm like an inter, internal medicine. It's like I'm, I'm the guy you would come to, like for a checkup, or you feel sick, or something's not right. You know, I'm sort of like the primary care guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so like. You, you know something's off. You don't know what it is, so you, you come see me, and then I figure out. Well, you got to go to heart doctor, or yeah, everything's okay. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we have, uh, there's a, a hospital. Uh, I live in Bali and, and there's yeah. a, a, a hospital. Like I can get there in about uh, 20 minutes, 18 minutes walking. And, uh, it's a big new hospital public. And yeah, if you don't know what you want, you go see one of the, I guess they say internists, uh, they, they, I guess that's the yeah. translation. I don't that's remember. That's the right word. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, they send you to others. It's extremely efficient, you know, but I, I never yeah. go to them anymore because I know what I want. So I just go up and I tell them where I want and they print these little yeah. stickers H- out. Hang on a sec- second. Yeah. Hang on a second. Hi. Ah. Uh, we're reconnected. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry I lost you. I, oh, didn't no. wanna, I wanted this person to know I would call her back. That's all. Yeah, um, no big deal. So anyway, there you are. Uh, you're an internist in New Rochelle, New York. And so what's your yeah. life, what's your life like? How, how, do, how do your days go? Well, um, I, I wake up in the morning, obviously. <laughs> and, um, that's probably, I'm not practicing as like I would like to practice, but I, in the mornings when I, I do a little bit of breathing meditation, you know, and that's where I kind of focus mm-hmm. on mindfulness. And then I go to work, I go to the office, I eat lunch and go to the office some more. And then I, I go to the hospital in the evening and see some patients. And then I often come back here and do some more work. It's a, it's a little bit too, um, too much work these days. A lot of, they're really, they've done a great job of making, um, everything inefficient and a lot of paperwork and stuff like that. So, but I'm, you know, I'm sort of hanging in there. And yeah. I'm, at least I'm, I'm, my, I have my own practice, you know, I'm, I don't really have any, I'm not working for, uh, Corporation. I don't have somebody over me telling me what to do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, people... I'm lucky in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. good. You have people come. Do you meet patients in the office? That's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's kind of a nice practice. It's um, it's a little labor intensive, but I have a lot of um. I I take a lot of I take some insurance. They pay, but they're like Medicaid or Obamacare. So actually I'd say like 60 or 65% of my patients are African-American and um, a lot of Hispanics, but you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit, in some ways it's a little bit like wherever I go, I sort of have a, a small town or Zen center. I, everybody, like a lot of people just walk to my office, you know, there's some nearby. Uh huh. Uh huh. So there's some plus things about it. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Occasionally, I do something that's useful that helps somebody. <laughs> so. Ah. Ah. Well, that's great. Well, now, how long have you been in in uh, uh, New Rochelle? I came here in '99, and then I did my residency. I I did my residency here, basically. Oh, and and in- then when. Yeah. And then when I finished my residency, there was a spot down the street. Somebody, this doctor got a job, at a, a real 
big, you know, a real good job running a nursing home. And so I took his place and but mm. that's, that's where my practice. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about something that I think would be relevant with some of the things that you were going over in some of your other podcasts. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about how I got the Zen Center because I got the Zen Center um, through Japan and it, it, it tangled a lot of the people you were talking about, plus some people you remember like Fred Stover and oh. Carl Bielfeld. Oh, yeah. So I, so I just wanted to talk to you about some of the I mean, it, it, it just might complement some of your information. What happened was, um, let's see, when I was, my, I took my third year of medical school abroad in Japan. And the way it worked is um, my college, Ohio Wesleyan University, was involved in this association with all these other schools in the area, um, Oberlin, Antioch, um, Yes, Oberlin, Antioch, Erlum, others. And they had this program in Japan where we would go. We would go the summer before. They, they would, we would have like a week in Tokyo, then three weeks studying Japanese. Then they would put us on Japanese farms for three weeks. Oh. To learn language and culture. Then they we would study Japanese three more weeks. Then we would, Stay with families in Tokyo while we were going to this international division at Waseda University. It was where they stopped, they taught courses in English and Japanese. Mm-hmm. I mean, they taught courses in English and then they also taught us Japanese. And it was, um, it, it was actually where I actually met people involved in Buddhism. Um, you've, you know, Fred Stober, I know. And yeah. Fred Stober had been in that program. He had been at that international division a few years before me. Mm. And the same way with Carl. And then um, you probably know Fumiko, Carl's wife. Yeah. I've yeah. met her. She was yeah. actually the secretary in that international division. That's where Carl and Fumiko met. Oh. And, um, and what's and the name so of that? Anyway, what was the name of that school? Wasada. Oh, so that's Wasada. Uh, yeah. Wasada. That's it's kind of the equivalent of an Ivy League school in Japan. But yeah, yeah. It's we very well known. Yeah. So um, the thing about it is I went there. But I should say the group of there's there's some things I should mention that are sort of relevant to practice. So there was this social worker there that was sort of like the counselor for the the group of students from the Great Lakes, you know, from Ohio and Indiana and all that. Mm-hmm. And her name was Junko Yamaka. And um, she was a very remarkable human being, a little bit, you know, sort of along the lines of Suzuki Roshi, very compassionate, very present, and um, very nurturing. And um, there was some very very outstanding human beings in that group. One of them was this Quaker guy named Chuck Esser, who was, he would, and then, and then there was this lady, a lady, a, 
co- a colleague named Nancy, and we were kind of involved in the anti-Vietnamese movement. There was a thing called B.B. Halen, you know, the anti-war group, and we were involved with that. And um, we were sort of like, had made a lot of friends in the student movement. But it was a, it was a very wonderful group of people. And then there was another group from California that we met up there. And in that group, there was this guy named Kevin who um, was in the Zen. He was, he didn't stay in, involved in Zen, but he was a friend of Carl and Fred. And he's, he introduced me to Fred and Carl. And then what happened was I got to be friends with him. He was a, actually, he was kind of into everybody smoking marijuana. So he sort of would go everywhere trying to get, give people marijuana. And I was sort of like his, my Japanese was a little bit better then, so I would I was sort of like his translator. But we, we were going around Tokyo and everywhere together. And then he had me go to um, Antaiji Temple, which you've heard of, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 And um, I didn't really... What year is this? This is... Let's see, I got to Japan in 68, and then 69... I... I went for Antaiji for it, Antaiji for a day. Um, I wasn't ready for it then, you know, I couldn't even sit. And um, But I went there and I didn't really plan to go back because I, I sort of had a few hours there that were torture. But, <laughs> but anyway, the other thing that happened was um, just to show you what kind of people they were, like Nancy... The summer after she got out of her third year, she had this um, endeavor where she would um, pose as the girlfriend for American soldiers defecting from the army. And she would escort them up to northern Hokkaido and they would get on a boat and get over to Russia and then take the Trans-Siberian Railroad to Sweden and get asylum but wow we we were always we were always going to some protest or something or other you know there was always and um wow anyway this guy chuck this guy chuck he was a wonderful guy he's a quaker and still very much an activist i think he's been active with uh korean peace peace thing but um he he met this group of people that you know is the tribe, the Buzoku, and they had a place in um, in Tokyo, um, sort of not too far from Tachigawa, the Air Force Base, and they had a, like a little commune there, and he took a bunch of us there, and we I, we met them, and then we found out about they have a they had a place, actually a place where Nanao died in Nagano Prefecture. Yeah, it's on a mountain, and so, and so I ended up going there, and then I ended up going to their place where, on that island, Suwanase, that you probably know about. Oh yeah! Wow, you went to Suwanase. Wow. Yeah. So wait a minute, but explain so anyway, what Suwanase was. Okay, Suwanase is this this volcanic island. It's like um, between Okinawa 
in Japan, there's a chain of islands. And they're small islands. So, but people live on them for the most part. And, 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 the, and to get to them, to get to someone say you've got on a boat called Toshima Maru, an island boat. Yeah. And it'll stop at this island and unload goats and load stuff on. And then it'll stop at another island and then, and eventually it gets to your island and you get to get off. Yeah. But, um, so it's, a, it's like a three day journey. Yeah. So, um, so, so I want to say it was basically a place where normal Japanese farmers lived and it had a volcano that was a little bit active. It was like, puff smoke every week, you know, and you have to empty out ashes out of your bathtub and stuff. But, um, you know, every now and then it erupts. you got to pay attention. But it, it was it was sort of like more of a show when I was there. It would kind of make some noise every now and then. Yeah. But um, it, was a, it was sort of like a commune started by Gary Schneider and Nanao and, and some pretty committed people. Yeah, and they were along the kind of along the philosophy of Gary Schneider, you know, Buddhism and living simply. Um, you know, the idea. I guess you probably know from living in Japan that most people, most Japanese, they follow a script throughout their life. You know, they they sort of do what they're told, and after they. They they study hard in high school so they can go to college, and then if you go to a good college, you get a good job. Yeah. Regardless of how much you learn. That's and right. You, you're in this corporation. Right. And a lot of them had arranged marriages. You know, it's just very, um, very stifling in a lot of ways. And the thing about Japanese society, if you, if you do it any differently, um, that it's not like you can, like here you could be a hippie and then ten years later you might be a CEO somewhere, you know. Yeah. But there, it's a little bit irrevocable. You you break ties there. They're they're not easy to uh, renew again. Yeah. And so they they were pretty courageous people, and a lot of them pretty smart and um, had a lot of depth. So it it was a good place and um. I was probably a little, I had never really been out of Ohio before that. I was kind of immature and it was probably more than I could really handle at the time. I was probably a little crazy. And um, the other side about it is um, there's probably enough food for those guys, but I think I needed more calories a day than they did. I was pretty, I was pretty malnourished when I left. But anyway. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, um, you know, one thing I remember anyway, about uh, Suwanasei is the movement there to stop the airport from being built. Yeah, yeah, I was involved in that initially. And that's kind of a funny story. And then I came to Baker Roshi's house, or Richard Baker, and and um, so I got sucked into it. And then uh, we were writing all these letters and doing all these things. And then some people didn't like it to be in Zen Center, so Baker Roshi said, well, it could be at my house. And But some people were mad at us for creating so much of a stir. It was a little comical. But um, 
we we I don't know if we and we had a poetry reading. We had Gary Schneider and Anal Sakaki and Philip Whalen and I I think another poet. And it was at um Blyden, it, no, it was at um this church in the mission. I forget that. No, at a school in the mission auditorium. Mm. And um so we had a fundraiser and then I think so we had something at Glide Memorial too. I remember talking to Gary Schneider at Glide Memorial about he wanted he was interested in that poetry reading. And mm. so we did it was it was a lot of work really. I mean it's like I was I had this job as a shipping clerk and I would come home and then <laughs> all day long we all night long we have meetings and I'm not sure we did anything, but we felt like we were doing something. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you know, that's it. But, you know, a funny thing was, it sort of died out. Everybody forgot about it here. And then, um, a few years later, I was walking along by myself in Japantown, and I saw this poster for a movie it's like a small movie about something. It seemed kind of interesting. And what it was is what we had started here had gone over to Japan and they had had maybe even one or two rock concerts. It was like a big, a lot of noise in Japan for a while. And then... Um, now, wait a minute. They, what was the movie it. about? It was about that movement to save say in Japan. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I, I can't remember the name of the movie, and I can't remember a lot of it. So it's like somehow the now got things going in Japan, and there was like a Save to Wanna Say thing in Japan, and people were protesting and, and and you know, making a lot of noise or whatever, you know. Yeah. And then they, they, they didn't really stop it, but then um, I think they built the airport and maybe built a a few things, but then it, it never took off as a, I think it was supposed to be like a resort for um, um, executives, you know, people up in the Yamaha Corporation. But I don't think it ever took off. I don't think any, I think they they really weren't intrigued by going to this remote island and sitting there and being quiet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. They they probably wanted to go to they probably be in in um, Shinjuku you know yeah having a good time but um so anyway I and I I think that group finally died out you know it, it was I have to say it was kind of a kind of a rough life you know yeah not a lot of food and not a lot to do and, um you, you had to be really focused on something or other yeah. to be there. But yeah. I, I really, in retrospect, I always admired the people there. I mean, there were, I mean, of course, a lot of them were my age and some of them were almost as foolish as me in some ways. But um, <laughs> there were also some very mature individuals there. Mm. And um, I mean, you know, it wasn't like perfect. I remember things would happen. I remember these guys getting in a fight and one getting hurt when the other one broke the shochu bottle and the glass splattered and Oh. We had to we had to get him on a boat on the boat and get him to get some medical attention, you know. And um 
Now, what yeah, what sort of guy? What here. sort of guys were they? They were um, some of them. They were just they were, they were just Japanese. Decided they weren't just they were Japanese. Uh huh. They wow. were Japanese. Uh huh. Except every now and then, you had some Americans. Like there was this Danish guy, who this guy from Copenhagen, who was sort of he was like a very cosmopolitan, you know, experienced guy that was kind of good for me, you know, because he was, you know, kind of, he wasn't much older than me, but probably a few decades more mature emotionally. But, um, and, and then there were interesting people that would show up. There was this funny guy that showed up from Thailand and was taken aback by the sensuousness of the group, you know, because they like to make their food taste good or whatever. And um, he, he kind of left in disgust. He thought we were just too um, too sensuous or whatever. Oh, how, <laughs> how <Yeah>. shocking. <laughs> so anyway, but I, it was, I mean, it was sort of like we really believed in that philosophy of Gary Schneider, like going back to you know, like the some of the culture. Some, I guess, if you sort of would say that, if, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing Gary Schneider in a crude way, but the idea that tribes and indigenous people, you know, had something that was very basic and valuable, and probably more intelligent than a lot of the things we see in our industrial society. And so it was like this effort to just sort of capture what what people had living in a very basic, simple way. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but um. No, I understand that. I always thought of Nanao yeah. as the founder of uh, Suwanese. It, it was it was a it was a combination. Gary uh, Nanao. Nanao had a lot. I mean, I know Nanao seems. He was kind of funny in some ways, but um, you know, he 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 had a strong and he was inspired, you know, and I think also when he was younger, he might have been a little bit more um, functional than he was in his later years in America, and um, but you know, hmm. there, there wasn't the thing about it was they people lived so simply and. We didn't really need to work a lot or have a lot of money or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. People, you know, we had. I think we lived our. We, we were living on thirty cents a day. <laughs> oh, that's great! You know, well, uh, when I think about Gary and now, I think of Gary as someone who did things, and yeah. now as a guy who talked about things. Uh, you know, he was always uh, waxing prolific. <laughs> and, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, uh, what a character. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, well, yeah, Gary was a very hard, um, pragmatic guy. He had a, right. done a lot of hard jobs. And now, of course, now I guess in recent years, I guess he did a lot of scholarly work with Carl, actually. I think they were very close and 
at least in the when I I last saw Carl in '99, and he had been working a lot with Gary. And you know. oh, is that right? I I know they were involved yeah. with the Mountains and Rivers Sutra. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what yeah, else. I don't, I don't know the details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carl um, Bill felt right. It's just I think it's worth worthwhile for me to just sort of do a kind of kind of ode to Suanose and those people because they, they they well they were important for me and they sort of they they were part of the interchange between Zen Center and Japan you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. in a sense yeah. Of course, there were other things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so I just wanted to... Well, anyway, I should say that how did I get to Zen Center? What happened was I went to Solana say, and finally... Um, to be truthful, I was... Crazy is not the right word, but I've, at that when I left Solana say, when when you... I weigh about 160 now. And um, and when, I think when you knew me, I weighed 130. But I, when I left Solana say, I was about 100 pounds. Oh my and, gosh! Um, oh. And so I was, I was, and it's just I had probably just absorbed more than I could really cope with. You know, I wasn't. You know, I, I it was, anyway. What happened was, um, I made my way back to the United States. I had to. Um, I worked on a freighter as a dishwasher, and got got like a free ride back and mm. a little bit of money. And then, How long um, were you in I Japan? A, a year and nine months. Oh, really? Well, wow. when yeah. did you leave? See, I um, I went. I left. I took. I took my junior abroad, and then I dropped out of college and just stayed in Japan another nine months. Yeah, and and and, um, and, and when did you leave Japan? It was um, it was like February twenty seventy. Of what year? What, uh, oh, 1970, I'm sorry. Yeah. 1970, early 1970. Mm-hmm, all right. So we get into another thing that has to do with Zen Center. Um, I, um, I, I, I rode that freighter and washed dishes. And, um, and so I got off the boat in Oakland and then took a bus to San Francisco and then my friend Kevin, the guy I had told you about, um, had given me Carl and Fred's address on 66 Waller Street. Ah. So, um, so, and so I, it's sort of like I just, I was a little bit like now that I would just show up and assume that I, <laughs> I was welcome. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. Um, they, they, they were, they took me in. And then um, I hung out with Kevin for a while in San Luis Obispo, and then I I spent a lot of time wandering around for a while, um, hitchhiking and stuff. I went back to Ohio where my parents were. It didn't go very well. And, and actually, I had to deal with my draft board. Actually, I was um, it's, it's kind of a funny draft story. It's not the most heroic one, but. Um, I want to hear yeah, it. I was, yeah. So, so I had a student deferment. I dropped out of school. They sent me a one A. That means yeah, I know for a physical. 
Right. <laughs> they sent it to me. The trouble is, they sent it from Urbana, Ohio, by sea mail. So it took two months, one month or two months to arrive. So, so on like July the first, I opened up this letter that tells me I should be in Urbana, Ohio, the next day for a physical. And and so, um, so I sent a letter. So why? Well, I sent a letter, I think, by Airmail explained that um, I'm in Japan. You sent it by C-mail. That's not really fair. And I want to apply for conscientious objector. And I think they were a little embarrassed about the C-mail thing. They said, well, you can just come back when you get back from Japan. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, I made, so nine months later, I come and I make an appointment with him. And I had my college chaplain with me and... I carefully explained that I had this religion that was a, this is a, a very conservative part of Ohio, Urbana, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And this, so I explained to them real carefully, it says, well, what's your religion? I explained it was a careful, I explained them carefully that it was a synthesis of, of Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity, and Judaism. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and believe it or not, but I had a chat. My chaplain was pretty coherent, you know. And somehow I got a conscientious objector status. Oh. Which was, which was, it was kind of irrelevant. I had one of those high numbers, you know, from my birthday. Uh-huh. It was when they had switched. So, but anyway, I had gone to deal with that. But anyway, um, finally, you were lucky. You were lucky, ma'am. Yeah, I was. Because generally, they you had to be involved with an established religion and and show some involvement and um you know with with an institution. Uh, Oh yeah. Anyway, you freaked him out. That's good. So. um, Or psyched him out. I think they think. They probably figured out that they really didn't want me in their army anyway. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Our country would have gotten out of Vietnam sooner with me there. They would have just had to leave. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm joking. But um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I did a lot, like it was kind of like my first few months after I came back from Japan were kind of chaotic and disconcerting and so I finally decided headed back to where Carl and Fred were decided to just sort of hang out around Zenzen at least pull myself together with meditation and stuff mm-hmm. and, and that's when I started then I just got more more involved with Zen Center was going to Zen Center every day and um Going to all the lectures, going to going to everything really, and then it, so that's how I ended up at that time. Did you meet Suzuki Roshi? Oh yeah, that's that's the other thing I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, when I it's funny that I told you how I got off the boat and I ended up at Carl and Carl and Fumiko's the like the first day I was on land and then. That was on a Saturday, and then Sunday morning they took me. In, I went to Suzuki Roshi's lecture that morning. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, I mean, it wasn't like I. It was a. 
I, I think it just seems to me just very to me it was just straightforward and kind of like of course you know or something you know mm. it's more kind of in line with everything that I had been you know studying or working on and uh, but but when I it, it, when I came to Zen Center, um, I got I be, really became I, I settled down August 1970 at Zen Center, and I, I think you were probably at Tassajara then. Yeah. And but but it was a very the thing I remember Suzuki Roshi was there and he was very very present. He was well. Then. Yeah. And um, Katagiri Roshi was there, very. Pre- Present, very active. There was, what's his name, Yoshimura. What was the guy that died, died of kidney cancer? That other priest, Suzuki Roshi said he was like a fire truck when he walked. Um, oh, the, Yoshimura. Yeah, Yoshimura was there. No, um, but it, no, wait there. a minute. Who's the fire truck? What? Well, okay. I, I just a funny thing I remember is. Like um, Suzuki Roshi said that when he walks into the meditation hall, he feels like it's a fire truck. <laughs> so he would walk fast and kind of like Who? Uh, Yoshimura. Oh, he said that about Yoshimura. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> it was kind of cute. He, he didn't mean it in a bad way. He says, Yoshimura is sort of like a fire truck. He comes in there and... That's interesting. I thought of yeah. Yoshimura... Was that, I think Ryogen Yoshimura uh, as uh, just the most admirable uh, Japanese priest, very straightforward, no nonsense. Very good guy. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. And you didn't it, mean that in a bad way. No, no, yeah. I didn't say you did. I don't think that. Yeah. Uh, but we don't hear about him much. You know, well, he, he died of kidney cancer shortly afterwards. I know. I know. Yeah. It's terrible. I've been to his temple in Japan, in Hokkaido. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We started a bicycle trip from there. We shipped our bicycles from Okayama to to there. And uh, my wife then, Elon, and my son, Kelly, and I uh, rode for three weeks around Hokkaido. It was trippy. But, and, they, you know, they we we made a video with the family. uh it was wonderful. We really liked them yeah. and, you know, did a little service for him. But he was so honest and about yeah, very Zen honest, yeah. and Soto Zen and uh, with no nonsense, really nice guy. Extremely, he helped, he, he, he helped me with, um, I did studies of uh, the um, uh, Genjo Koan and the uh, Fukan Zazingi. Uh, a ca- character studies of them and the meaning and this and that uh, and and I did it somewhat with Suzuki Roshi but more with Yoshimura and he wrote them all out the characters uh, and he and he was um, yeah. he was taking care of uh, of uh, of uh, so- Sokoji uh, after a while yeah for a time uh Anyway, I really admired him. He was wonderful at Tassar. When he translated for 
uh, Tatsugami, that was the best. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, uh, just wanted to say some. I, I really liked. I was very sorry he died. You know, he told me he'd been sick a lot in his life, and he looked so handsome and tall and healthy. Yeah. But he said he'd gone through college uh, with tuberculosis uh, in the hospital a lot of the time. And he said his father was a big shot and, uh, in Soto Zen. He said, and he showed me, he said, you see this, this brown robe here? Uh, I got, I was ordained by the, uh, I was given transmission by the abbot of AAG and he skipped all the steps and he said, doesn't mean anything. Uh, he explained to me all the steps of ordination, which we don't use at all in America. You know, uh, much, much more complicated there. Uh, Anyway, uh, that was neat. You saw Yoshimura there. All right, please continue. What do you remember about Suzuki? You remember anything? What I think the most important thing I remember is I could be, if I were, he could look at you. Let's say, I remember being in the dining room and I was I had a lot of food hangups at the time you know like which isn't unique for <laughs> that bunch of people but I had a lot of food hangups not to eat this and eat that you know and, and then of course here I was in the dining room and and it was a choice between just eating what was there and my food hangups and I went through like maybe a minute or two of figuring out that I was going to just eat what was there but, you know, it was, there's probably like a little inner conflict or whatever. So I remember going through that. And while I was going through that, I remember Suzuki Roshi looking at me. And it would ha- happen a number of times he would watch you and look at you going through something. But you didn't feel, you didn't feel self-conscious. It was like you didn't feel, oh, that guy is looking at me. My God. Or, you know, it's just. He would look at you, and you'd go. You'd just um, go through what you were going through, and um, that's the one thing I remember. Um, you know, I was kind of young and immature, so I didn't really have some real deep relationships that I that you know I would have, say, like if I was more mature now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was just. I was very much struggling to just be able to concentrate and focus and functional and do things, meditate, concentrate, you know, you know, and I, you could sort of say maybe I was an ADHD guy, you know, that was determined to overcome that or something, you know, we didn't have Ritalin in those days, and, uh, but whatever. So I was pretty much focused on um, kind of a, just trying to just trying to concentrate and do my practice. I didn't really have a lot of depth about me in some ways, you know. So I didn't like have a lot of deep questions that I could have brought to Suzuki Roshi or well, something like that. But Jim. I, they, they might have just gotten in the way. I don't, I don't know. Well, 
you know, uh, yeah. but, I, I but don't think I don't is, think what you're describing uh, sounds good to me. Um, not yeah. having any well, deep questions good. that you got that nonsense out of the way. <laughs> but what I should say is, at the time, my first year of Zen, there was Katagiri, Katagiri, Suzuki, Yoshimura, and then, and then I had Carl and Fred too. Like so, if I, you know, I would go back and visit. The, I started living in the building, but you know, I would go visit Carl and Fumiko and Fred. They would have parties and stuff. And um, and there was even my friend Kevin, and then also there were a lot of there was Rev, Rev there, and then there were, there were a lot of good things going on at Sensitor. I don't remember. Did you did you know that guy named Doctor Lancaster? Who? He was a Lancaster. Lou Lancaster. Maybe he was head he of was, East um, Asian Studies at UC Berkeley. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah, he's a, he was there. He's a very prominent Buddhist uh, scholar and teacher, and and also um, archivist. Uh, enormous amount of uh, uh, work uh, in digitally archiving. Early on, he's the first person I heard about digital archiving from, uh, and yeah. you know involvement with UC Berkeley, and then a. Uh, a uh, a Korean funded uh, Buddhist university or college in Southern California he was involved in in it, and he's in his nineties now. Yeah, that sounds right. Well, he was a little bit older, older, I think, than Carl. I guess Carl's in his eighties. Is Carl still alive? I haven't heard from him. But. Uh, Carl, you know, was yeah. it, he's been a professor at Stanford University for. For since right. since, yeah. since then, back then it yeah. started pretty early on. He's like yeah. uh, he's he's one of the if not the most respected Sotos and scholars, and probably a wider field than that. I don't know, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's um, you know he he uh, studied the practice, and he's he's been a practitioner, and he's. He he knows the stuff, you know. He, he backwards does, yeah. and forwards. Well, what I was trying to say was, Doctor. I remember Doctor Lancaster giving lectures, and I think it was very grounding for my practice because I had really I was surrounded by really good good teachers, and also they gave me a good intellectual background of what. Buddhism is, you know, in terms of its history and its, yeah. what it teaches. And Dr. Lancaster was even kind of important, you know, just understanding. Yeah. I mean, because I, I think of things he says even now. But um, so it was a very. So so my first year, um, I, I got this draw job delivering janitorial supplies in the city. It was a good way for me to learn to concentrate because if I didn't concentrate, I'd run into something. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, um, so anyway, um, I, I just sort of wanted to share some of that, those things with you because it sort of ties into 
you know, some some of the things people talk about with Zen Center, how it, Suzuki Roshi and and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you know Fred. Fred was a very interesting guy. Um, he was sort of like um, I had, I met him. What happened was in Japan before I went to. So I want to say I was like a volunteer in this hospital near Kyoto for doubly handicapped kids and I would have a weekend and I would go in and see Fred and so Fred sort of kind of took me in and then um, and then Fred he was very supportive you know when I was kind of worried about the draft board you know but um, but um, Fred was what happened was Fred had been in the Navy and had a Navy pension. He, so he just took the Navy pension, went to Japan, and hung out on on Taiji for a long time. Well, he was then young he then. Out. He was young, so he was. Yeah, kidding. he was like thirty. <laughs> wow. So he was thirty when I was twenty-two. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But Fred was an amazing human being. Very much. I mean, he's he's he sat a lot at on Taiji. You know, they would do four sessions every morning. And um, and he would he would go every morning. He would do all those sessions and stuff. And then he came back. I think he came back. One of his he had a number of Japanese girlfriends. He had when he came back to America, he was with this Japanese woman. And they they were in this house, the same house that. Well, I think she. I don't think she lived there, but Fred lived with Carl and Sumiko. And it was kind of a, it was a very supportive group of people. You know, there were several people that were non-Zen, but everybody was kind of, everybody got along really well and didn't bother anybody. And um, and then I think ultimately, well, Fred got together with a lady that had been a classmate of mine in Japan for a while. And they were lived up where the Sawyers live now. He He went... For a while, Fred had some property up around Gurneyville and ah. moved up there. And um, and then he 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 built a house, and then this what he he had a nice little zendo in his house. I actually, I think I sat a session there once, a day session. Wow. And, um, and then so Fred was continued to meditate, and then he was Fred, friends of this um. Nisei American, who had been in Japan with me, Nakamura, and she, he's, Nakamura was friends of a lot of Zen students, like um, Beth Bebo, and um, I, I guess you remember Beth Bebo, right? Who? Beth Bebo. I, I don't, maybe she, I don't remember. Yeah, you might not know her so well. Um, anyway, then finally... They broke up, and then he went to Hawaii, and he he sort of got together with a daughter of the family where he had stayed in Tokyo when he was in school. I guess they got together, and he would uh, he was sort of like the maitre dia for this um, Japanese restaurant, and he so he um, he did a lot. I think he was meditating there, and he was with he would I think he would um, do peace vigils with Aiken Roshi. Hmm. Yeah, he moved to Hawaii. Yeah, 
he, he, I, he was, I, I believe his practice was active there. I think he sat there and did these visuals with Aiken Roshi and um, sort of supported this, helped this Japanese family that he had met in Tokyo. Yeah. With their restaurant, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he died of thyroid cancer yeah. before his time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, now, you were at Zen Center how long? Okay. So, so, um, so let's see. I was, I was in the city center three years, and then they sent. Then I went to Tassajara for two and a half years, and then I was at Green Gulch three years, and then, um, and then I was at Green Gulch a couple more years. What happened was, I told you that I was sort of focused on being more functional and mm-hmm. being more having like having like a personal competence in the physical world yeah and one thing I didn't say was when I was in Japan I told you I lived on a Japanese farm yeah and I loved I loved those Japanese farmers and they seem to be just so functional in the physical world, and I had sort of been up until then, you know, very cerebral, you know, a straight-A student and all that stuff, you know. Hmm. And and I, I sort of wanted to be more like them. <laughs> so, and, hmm. um, and so Suzuki Bakeroshi, I should say, he was sympathetic to my endeavor in that. And so that was how he ended up plopping me on the carpentry crew for better or for worse. And I was on the carpentry crew for a number of years, which didn't work out ultimately. Where? And then... Um, Where were you on the crew? Well, well, for a while, I was at, at... Mostly at Green Gulch. Remember, they were doing the... They were doing all that remodeling and the... Uh-huh. And the old... You know, like we had to... Like they built all those rooms in the where the the barn where the Zendo is, you know, they did a lot of stuff there and built Lou Richmond's house. Well, it's not his house now, but you know, it was in. Um, I think it was a separate separate crew that worked on the wheelwright center, and then I, I worked on the restaurant. And, uh, ah, you mean Greens building the restaurant? You know. Oh. Yeah. How yeah. was that? Like I was, um, well, the thing about it is, you sort of have to, it's a little dicey talking about me on the carpentry crew because you could look at it different ways. You could say that me trying to become a carpenter was something of a fool's errand. You could look at it all that way. <laughs> or you could say that at times I could be pretty functional and competent and um sometimes it would be depend on um how i did would depend on who i was working with too so Mm -hmm. i was so uh, i don't want to get too much into these interpersonal things that happen you know um i i did i did help build green's restaurant and you know i had some good times there and some rough times and Mm. but it was part of my history part of what i did and then um at the and that was then i then sort of they said i couldn't be on the carpentry crew anymore and then 
They wanted me to be in the uh, accounting office. And and if you, you know, my agenda was to be more functional in the physical world and the real world, not to go into the some world where I'd be totally cerebral, you know. Yeah. And so I, I, I said no to the accounting thing, but they said no to the carpentry thing. So the compromise was me going to work in the fields for a while. Uh-huh. So I went there, and then, um, and then I, then I decided to go into the city and just try and be a self-employed carpenter. You know, I did the remodeling jobs. And, oh, really? And of course, a lot of times, yeah. I mean, some of the work I did was quite decent, but um, sometimes it wasn't working out. So I would be driving the cab, and then, and, and so, so there was about. Let's see, I left. I left Tuscaloosa in 1980, 1981, and then I, and I, by 1989, I was trying to get back in the medic, get in the medical school. But there was, you know, I, I went through different things. And then, you say you tried to get back into medical school. Uh, well, I didn't try. Basically, I had to take a bunch of courses over again. Yeah, but wait a minute. When were you first in medical school? Well, I wasn't in medical school ever before. I mean, I just, I should have said tried to get back. In, I tried to. In 1989, I started doing pre-med. But I had been pre-med when I was in college. You mean before like you went to Japan, point. you were pre-med? I was pre-med, yeah. Oh, Okay. So, um, so different things happen in my life, and I ended up, you know, taking a a real change and going to San Francisco State and doing the prerequisites for medical school, and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, the the process of applying and all that stuff. And you ended up in New Rochelle, New York. Yeah, I went to New York Medical College. It's up, it's up in northern Westchester here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a little bit of an odyssey in medical school and residency, but finally I got through it. Wow. Well, that's um, yeah. Did did were you were were you ever involved with Trumpa and his group? No, I remember when he came, I liked him a lot. Like Suzuki Roshi liked him a lot, but I never, and I knew people who went there, but I was, uh-huh. Uh-huh. I, I was, a, I always felt more home. I think, um, I sort of liked the discipline of Zen, I think, you know. Yeah. Although. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. I know, I never went to, yeah. Um, let's see, who do I know that went there? We know, um, oh. Jack Elias. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, and then and then Bob Halpern, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, where's Bob Halpern? Did he pass away or something? No, no, he's in um, Nova Scotia. Oh my God! Yeah, and then what was that, that pretty girl named Lynn? What was her name? Lynn. She was at Green Gulch in the early days, you know, when before they had even built anything. What was her name? Lynn, something or other. She went to 
join Trump. Ah. Uh, uh, what I'm talking about. Ah. Uh, she okay. worked in the kitchen a lot, I think, with um, Isan. Hmm. Uh, Lynn Hasselbart? So anyway, I knew the people had gone there. Yeah. Anyway. You know, uh, she, whatever happened to her, she disappeared. So. Who? Lynn Hasselbart? Who? Yeah, nobody ever heard from her. Who? Did she go? Or does anybody know where it happened? Lynn Hasselbart. Lynn Hasselbart uh, what happened lives, lives uh, outside of Atlanta and has been involved with uh, Clay Calhoun and Lucy Bennett in uh, their... Oh, I th- uh, I'm thinking of somebody else, I think. Who's yeah. that lady that was the G-Shift? I'm thinking of a different Lisa. I'm thinking of somebody else. Yeah, she had, and Hasselbart had been involved with their organic gardening there near Atlanta. Um, uh, okay. You're, you you might be talking about Laniel. Maybe, yeah. Anyway, well, it doesn't anyway, matter. I knew a few people. But, yeah, I always thought, I mean, the way I thought of Trunkba was he was a very solid teacher with a slightly different, um, a slightly different, Style, but I thought him as a teacher who was kind of important in helping Buddhists not get, especially young people like us, not get hung up on one idea of, you know, like having like this idea of saintliness and uh-huh. religiosity, and yeah. Know, so I, I I I valued his teaching, and I always, I always read his books. What was I forget what they were called, but. Uh, Cutting through yeah, spiritual been, materialism. Cutting through spiritual materialism. Meditation yeah, and action. The path of, yeah, I read that. Yeah. Yeah. Those were important. He was an important teacher. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. So, what I should say, though, is what. But, but there's actually. Um, I haven't been going as much as I would like, but. Um, when I came here, there was a lady named Susan Tolstoy. Oh yeah, sure. I told you, talk, you know, yeah, know about her. Yeah, so I came out here, and then when I started my my residency here in New Rochelle, and then she she had she met in this Quaker meeting house up the road in Rye, mm-hmm. and then she actually she bought this kind of. It was it's kinda of like a it was kinda of like a store for it was it was owned by this um art studio. He didn't need all his space, so he sold her this kinda of, it's like a you've probably seen pictures of it. It's the empty hands and center. Right. It used to be I think that yeah. So I, I've I've been I, I knew Susan pr- pretty well or a lot and um I practiced with her some. Hmm. And um, that's, of course, Darlene was coming up a lot, Nissen, especially towards um, the the end of Susan's life. Well, we didn't know she was going to die. She got, I think, metastatic breast cancer and hmm. went pretty quick. But but she, um, Darlene Cohen would come up here a lot, and Tony would come up a lot. Oh. And I think Dar- Darlene and Susan were pretty close. Yeah. And then Nissen. Nissen spent a few months here, hmm. and then I think I think one year 
one one year, Sen Sen or Sena, somebody that'd be a teacher up here, who stayed a while and then she had to go. She went back. And um, it's 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 a it's a decent group and they they meet several times a week. You know. They're still going, go right? Longer. Yeah, still going. Who's the teacher there now? You know, I can't even remember his name. So I, I've only been to my my medical practice. Kind of is a little too labor intensive, so I haven't been there a lot. But you, um, you said you get calls uh, during the night. <laughs> yeah, um, it's not so bad these days, but um, sometimes people will call. It used to be worse. Usually the calls I get are pretty stupid. Like somebody, they don't know to wait just in the morning to call to make an appointment. So they're calling like four in the morning and say they got to be seen. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so I've I've been kind of fortunate to come somewhere where there's a Zen Center. Hmm. I'm looking at Empty Hands Zen Center now. Uh, uh, come on. No, I can't get it to respond. Oh, there we are. I'm trying to see who the teacher is. If they had a number of teachers. So. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I've been to one of his lectures. Mm. Well, it's not responding very well. Um, Boy, is this slow. Maybe we have a a weak connection today. It's raining pretty hard here right now. Okay. Uh, Well... Well, you've uh, taken this full circle here. Uh, all right, now wait a minute. The Empty Hands In Center Board of Directors uh, offers... Oh, wow. Uh, uh an invitation to all to join a deep nourishing study of Roshi Pat Inkyo O'Hara's book, Most Intimate a Zen Approach to Life's Challenges. Uh, but that that's what came up when it said about I clicked about us and it went to that. So yeah. um, it's not really telling me more teachings and articles nah I give up um, alright well uh, do you have anything else to say anything uh, you'd like to share well, I just want to say I've enjoyed some of your podcasts I enjoyed listening to John Bales you know cause he's a neighbor yeah, well, we was we were at Gringotts together. You know, I remember you was talking about the time where, you know, there were there's nowhere to go Saturday night, and there weren't many ladies to 
get to know and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, well, I kind of, jo- I enjoyed him, him talking about Vincent, you know, because he saw, he saw it from a different lens than me, you know. <laughs> I enjoyed Lou Richmond, and um, mm. I enjoyed, um, besides, I've listened to a number of the podcasts. I just, let's see, his, I enjoyed um, Michael and Barbara Wenger. Uh, and, um, yeah, that was really brave of them because, uh, you know, it's very hard for him to talk with his Parkinson's. Um, and it, it was it was a lot of work to process the podcast. And uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, uh, I see. Yeah, but uh, uh, I see. Yeah, I spent a lot of time on it, and they were pleased with it, and I was pleased with it. Uh, and and. Yeah, I really admire them and the the efforts they've made, and you know the work Barbara's done on on photography, and you know the just the sort of influence Michael has been in his uh, Zindo. Uh, he, you know, they're both uh, really unusual people, and they've uh, cut an unusual path and offered something really different. You know, each one of them. For years, not just at one time, you know. Um, and so many different people. It's interesting. It's something I've been thinking about. There's a lot of very different people at Zen Center, but it's hard to say that these days because the emphasis is on uh, these days in the uh, talk. In America, the politically correct, the socially correct talk is, uh, well, it's mainly just a bunch of white people. Yeah, but that's true. It was always open to anybody who came. <laughs> and, um, uh, it, you know, and, but among those, uh, <laughs> those, there, there were some who were just white people. But among them, yeah. there, uh, there were so many different types of people. Uh, yeah. And I'm thinking about how to say that without, uh, uh, without, and still, you know, say, yeah, but it it, it doesn't have the diversity and uh, equality and all that that people want. But it's hard to manufacture that, you know. Uh, it's because yeah. Zen Center wasn't offering what they wanted. It wasn't offering that sort of empowerment. I mean, people would come to Zen Center and be told, uh, well, uh, you know, this isn't going to help you. It, this isn't self-improvement. Uh, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, uh, and things like that, um, you know. Uh, what have you gotten out of it? You go there and people say, well, I don't know, really. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it wasn't offering people any improvement in their social standing or sense of power in life or anything. Uh, I mean, it could. It could be presented that way. It needs a, a Kazan, you know, Kazan who, mm-hmm. who popularized Zen, uh, Soto Zen. In Japan, Dogen sure didn't. Yeah. Uh, Dogen, it was... Well, the thing about it, too, yeah. is... 
I, I felt that um, I think a lot of people that came to Zen Center were kind of they had been politically active, but they needed kind of uh, nurture themselves again. They were a little burned by it, you know. The pro- you know what I mean? Like, you know, there was a harshness to politics at the time. At the time, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. And and so, like I, I in Japan, the buzoku was the same in a sense. That, like the the Japanese movement, student movement, was very militant and radical. But then it was like hollow in a way that they would after they finished school they would go back and become corporate executives uh huh whereas the the, the, the Buzuku people you know they were trying to take the politics to a different level you know and what did the booze you know, stand I I for Bruce, what did the booze stand for Zoku is tribe Zoku just means tribe well Zoku what means all, tribe what did boo mean I don't know I'll have to look it up. <laughs> All right. I just remember the word buzoku, and I never. Huh. huh. But you know, I know like Bruce Fortin. Be. Yeah, I enjoyed your podcast with Bruce Fortin, and then I remember that when I was doing that stuff with the anti-nuclear movement, I was sort of like an, an-, an- anomaly. And people had, and, and, until Richard Baker told people to become anti-nuclear with the weapon thing, then then it was like a in thing to do. But, well, um, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I I I put together the first nuclear freeze presentation, and right. Yeah, and, I'm and, not talking and, about and, you. I'm just talking well, about. Wait a minute. I, I'm not talking about me either. I'm trying to give an overview, and uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so I went to Dick. People weren't involved yet, but this was early, and this was just when it was. And and I asked him if we could use greens for the first big presentation of the nuclear freeze for San Francisco. It wasn't a Zen Center oh. thing. Uh, yeah. And he said, yeah. Uh, and we got in sort of an argument, and I yelled at him and stuff. Uh, but... Uh, at which he didn't appreciate because there were other people there, other officers. But um, anyway, we came to an agreement. He got very involved in. John Bales became the president or the the head oh, yeah. of the San Francisco uh, nuclear freeze. So you were involved with it uh, then before. Uh, well, I was involved with the Abalone Alliance, which was sort of before then, I think. Oh, Abalone Alliance the, predates it. Yeah. See, you're an old. Yeah. You're like uh, John Steiner. Uh, uh, was, uh, you know, when in, from, from in '64 or something, he was involved in peace work uh, there uh, in, in San Francisco, or in California. I mean, or '66, maybe '67. Uh, maybe 64 is too early. Uh, there were some individuals like you who were early on involved. I actually got involved with it in 1980. See, this is much later. You, you'd been involved in stuff early. I mean, I, I, I was into, into, 
uh, civil rights stuff in 64 uh, and right. SDS, but uh, in a not very helpful way. And then I, I decided that consciousness and getting high and then Zen or where it was at and didn't think about that stuff yeah. for a long time. But, well, I don't know, anti-war, yeah, that galvanized... I, I guess what I was trying to say is there was a side of a lot of people coming to Zen Center. They came from a struggle, and they sort of were felt a little depleted from the struggle, you know, whereas like a black person would come into this thing, you didn't see any activism, and maybe if you were a black person, you'd say, well, I better do something about my people, you know. I'm just trying to yeah. speculate why there weren't any. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. it's funny, now in my life, most of my patients and most of my close relationships are with African Americans or Jamaicans. Mm-hmm. Or, so. Hmm. 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 Well, you were but starting... That might be partly the... Yeah. No, go on. It part, it's partly the terrain where I am. I work, I'm in the hospital a lot, and a lot of the nurses are African American. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, a lot of my patients, I, I, a lot of my patients are African American, and then um, not all. Mm. Uh, of course, I went to. I went. To, I, I spent some, a little time in Africa when I was a medical student. And, oh, really? Yeah, so I I took an international elective in Ghana, and I was there six weeks. Wow! And then I then I went to visit later, and then um I, I actually married a woman from Ghana. Um, we're we're not married now, but we were married for a while, you know. Hmm. And um, so I I sort of have. You know, some ties to Africa or Africans. And yeah, it definitely I sounds mean. like it. Um, yeah. So, look, you were saying, and I interrupted you, that you were, well, you've been in the Abalone Alliance uh, and then got involved in the nuclear freeze. How did, can you can you say what the Abalone Alliance was? And Okay, the, so... Um, yeah, and there's a important story I should bring out in that, in that, because uh, it relates to Richard Baker and my relationship to him. What it was, the Avalone Alliance, what ha- the reason it happened when you build a new power plant, you have to do something where you put a lot of copper sulfate in the water around, and it kills a lot of shellfish. So in Massachusetts, they had a thing called the Clamshell Alliance, because when they built a nuclear power plant in Massachusetts, they, when they built that, they put in all this copper sulfate to clean out something or whatever, and then that killed a lot of clams. Mm. And, and then, and on the east, on the west coast around San Luis Obispo, it wasn't clams, it was abalone. We, we called ourselves the Abalone Alliance in honor of all the abalone that got killed by the copper sulfate in building the nuclear power plant. Which one? But, um, Diablo Canyon. Mm. 
the one in San Luis Obispo. It's a twin. It's built just like Fukushima, actually. It's built just like like what? Just like what? Fukushima nuclear power plant. Oh, Fukushima. Uh, uh, Is this uh, San Luis Obispo? Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, 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 it's situated very nicely on an earthquake fault in um, mm. the Hoshkree fault, you know. Mm. But um, I should say that I remember reading Gary Snyder how Gary Snyder said things to watch out for is watch out for nuclear energy because it would destroy our genetic gene pool if there's an accident. I, I was sort of influenced by by Gary Snyder in a sense. And yeah. so I just and I just joined up and went down and got arrested and then um <laughs> it's not a big deal to get arrested. You're just there with a bunch of people and you they drag you away, put you in school buses and then they put you in this big gymnasium where you're sleeping on mats and then it turns into out you know, pumping down meeting workshop for the anti-nuclear movement because you're just sitting there having meetings all day long and but, but um but then um so let's see we were we blockaded roads and stuff you know to the nuclear power plant it was all symbolic obviously and it was all very non-violent and um for that matter but um they what happened was uh, um guilty of trespassing and so something that involved Richard Baker was um, the deal was they they let us go on our own recognizance we were in in the gymnasium which we which was supposedly jail for 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 three days and then um, we had this trial and the deal was the policy of the Abilene Alliance was never pay a fine never take probation and there were strategic reasons for that in, in terms of having a strong movement and so the sentence the judge wanted to hand down was i think it was you could you had your choice 90 days in jail or or that's three months 90 days in jail or you could have um two weeks in jail and a 300 dollars fine and be on probation and my my inclination would have been to just say no, I won't take probation, I won't take the fine, I'll just take the ninety days jail. That was our policy. So I was telling Richard Baker that, and he didn't see the sense of that. Um, he thought, well, what's the difference between probation and going to jail? It's he thought it was ridiculous, mm-hmm. or he didn't think it was sensible. So at that point in time. I thought of Richard Baker as more of this guy who knew everything and was omniscient and all that stuff. <laughs> Not omniscient, but you know, but uh-huh. you know, knew everything. And um, so I wasn't really one of them that was going to stand up to the judge and say 90 days. But fortunately, the day before I came up, there were these 15, um, 15 of uh, 15 people. You know, they were. They, they weren't, you know, one of them was this small little school teacher, you know, 90 pounds. And and so they all stood up to the judge and say, well, I'm not taking your probation. I'm not 
paying your fine, I'll, you can send me to jail for 90 days. And and they, they did that. He's, so he sends us about 10, 10 of them to 90 days. Um, the next day, the judge came and apologized and backed down. He just said, okay, it's for all of you guys, you're not going to get the 90 days jail. You're going to get two weeks two weeks jail and a $300 money judgment and no probation. So the, it was sort of like a demonstration of how to, how to function in the world of civil disobedience. And I could see that Richard Baker was wrong. And it wasn't like that destroyed my relationship with him, but then I, it made me understand he's a human being, he's a teacher. But a teacher doesn't know everything. You don't do everything he says. He's just another <coughs> another human being. So it sounds kind of trivial, maybe, but um, or it might seem kind of trite. But that was a no. That's good. You know, I was I was. A, and then when what happens? Then when I started to when then when they wanted me to be in the treasury, then I decided to go and do the freelance carpentry thing. He, he advised me to go into the treasury and I says, and then I went back to him and I says, well, um, maybe I can't be a Sangha student. That was a special category of students where you paid $50 a month and certain things. I said, huh. maybe I can't be that anymore because I'm not doing what you say. He says, no, that's not true. You, you you make some of your own decisions. I don't know every, you know, he just sort of made it clear that I had made a decision and he respected that decision and the kind of relationship we had wasn't this thing where I did everything he said. Right. And um, so those two things, I think they put me on more solid ground so when this blow up happened with him, it, you know, I wasn't, so it didn't throw me out of kilter so much because I just had the feeling, you know, I already knew he was a fallible human being and could make mistakes and be wrong. Yeah. And so, and then the other thing, the other thing that made me more stable, I think, was Richard Baker for me was an important teacher, but my first year there was Katagiri, Yoshimura, Fred Stover, Carl Bielfeld, Lancaster. I was Hoadley, so... Yeah, you left out you know, Suzuki. Had a sense. I'm sorry, Suzuki Roshi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, it was sort of like, I sort of had a a group of, like a family, a group of teachers that, so I felt like in my psyche, it wasn't just one person, it was like this, this um, constellation of people that... Yeah. They were Buddhist, and that that that's that's. But I sort of feel fortunate in a couple of ways. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, now, and you said then you started getting involved with the nuclear freeze, and you said this is before it was that Dick had given it his blessing at Zen Center. That was interesting. Right. Uh, yeah, well, that was just, for me, it was just, um, you know, you all, we all have our personal things, like you, my my dad, my family was kind of more political, you know, and um, 
And it just came natural to me, like, to go down. And I didn't see the contradiction between my practice and going down. It just felt like... I, it, it never occurred to me there was a problem going down. You going know, down? Going down? Kind of what are you talking about going down where? San Luis Obispo. Oh, yeah, but that wasn't nuclear freeze. That was uh, that was that was that that was um the the that was the weapon that was the um power right. plant. Yeah. The nuclear freeze they're, did, they're, did they're not link to other causes. The nuclear freeze was not anti-nuclear power. It was strictly that's talking yeah. about uh, freezing nuclear weapons. And you know, I, of course, I. I I had meetings and dealt with it. I was offered the head of uh, Northern California nuclear freeze, and uh, I said, you don't want me. <laughs> that would be a mistake. <laughs> Just <laughs> let me do ad hoc things and help out where you need help. Uh, and uh, they would have meetings. I was in this one meeting with, uh, uh, like, people from public advocates and you know, very socially involved people. And the person I was with was assuring them that we support all their causes and this and that. And I said, well, really, we don't. It's nuclear freeze is just about the nuclear freeze. And the person I was with, who I love, I still love, wonderful person, got mad at me afterwards for, you know, undermining her. But I thought it was very important that nuclear freeze wasn't linking to other things. It was trying to limit nuclear weapons, and that's it. And our headquarters in San Francisco were at U.S. leasing, a multi-billion-dollar business, and the head of it was like head of the Republican Party for that area. Uh, we had a lot of Republicans yeah. involved. Uh, uh-huh. And and I dealt with uh, military people. Uh, you know, I, I would... I took Rear Admiral Carroll around on a speaking tour and stuff, and I thought that was important uh, not to have not to have to be politically correct on all these other issues. Um, you know, uh, but you were saying that when you that you weren't you you weren't getting. So feeling supported at the Zen Center until Dick gave it his blessing. Well, in what I way? Say, say that. I, I didn't, not, what I would mean is, it's not that I wasn't supported or unsupported. Um, there weren't other people interested. It was a little bit like, like I was, was just one person involved in the anti-nuclear movement. And that wasn't a big deal to me, you know. It was, but when when Dick said we should do something, then everybody just jumped in and did it. You know, That's it right. Of, That's right. Then Zinsen yeah, got it was, very it was involved. It was kind of funny. A little. It was it was a little groupy. But, you know, yeah, yeah. You know. And this is funny because Dick was involved before. I mean, like in the '60s, he was involved in some. Uh, anti-nuclear, anti—I don't know exactly. Maybe having to do with Lawrence Livermore Lab. I've got to ask him about that. I can't remember what it was. Uh, and yeah. you know, he—he uh, he was very interested, you know, in the peace marches, and you know, he'd go there. And did he? 
uh, I think he might have been involved with taking Suzuki Roshi on a big peace march that a lot of us went to. Not me. I was at Tassara. Um, And, you know, he was uh, very involved in U.S.-Soviet friendship and this and that. After, After he became Abbott, his involvement with things tended to be with uh, uh, sort of like people of higher status, you might have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, and, well, all right. Well, thanks for your uh, commitment to uh, peace and 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 uh, and your. Uh, having uh, a world without uh, nuclear weapons and power, although right now uh, nuclear power is is not the big boogeyman. Uh, yeah. Uh, and actually, it's sort of it's sort of you know when when we when I was involved in the Abilene Alliance, you know, shortly after our you had um, what was Three Mile Island, and then. And then in, it never took off. Nuclear power stopped. I mean, the power plants stopped being built. They just weren't. They were just too expensive and yeah. too controversial. And, right. But, but then the weapon thing. And then, then um, of course, then you had all these, all this. Build up of nuclear weapons. The world was in the freeze. I'm sure. Well, that's all, still that yeah. yeah, I mean the uh, threat of nuclear war and all that is no, no, great no, now as ever. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, you know. mm. The I enjoyed uh, uh, I enjoyed your talk with um, with our friend that went spent a lot of time in China and Crimea. With, with our friend who was in Crimea, uh, the, 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 the guy that has the knee brace, what's his name? The older guy with the knee brace? Uh, you know, the, well, he wasn't, a, he's our age. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'm an older guy, too. Um, he's Jewish, he's a priest, ordained by Richard Baker, was at Tassa, was at Green Gulch, um, was at Zen Center. Um, has the sells the knee brace on Amazon and oh oh Eric Garno yeah I was in, I enjoyed your talk with him and oh and, knee brace know, right he was marketing that he he was never a priest was was he a priest yeah he was he was he was a oh, I forgot I forgot yeah I remember his ordination he was he was living at Green Gulch when he was ordained yeah. One thing he didn't get into in in that talk is how pro-Russian he is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, anyway, I, I stay away from that uh, side of things. Uh, yeah. And he he didn't well, bring it up. I'm not pro-Russian, but I I just feel like it's a very complicated thing in, in that complexity. Oh, he's, he's very, very pro-Russian. Uh, he went. Oh, he yeah. went to the. He went to Russia for the what 70th anniversary of 
World War Two, and it's uh, you yeah. know the end of World War Two. Uh, right. Yeah. And and uh, he. Uh, uh, any anyway, I I'm I I I I'm not. I don't pay much attention to to all his arguments and things. Uh, I right, tend to be yeah. skeptical, but uh, you know he's very sincere. But you know Russia's role in World War II has been so underreported in the United States. It's unbelievable. People in the United yeah. States think uh, they look at it. They think, well, there was this war going over in Europe. Hitler was terrible, and finally we went over and ended it. <laughs> and you know for what what Russia did fighting Hitler it was on a much vaster scale and, and was enormously damaging they killed 20 uh, I believe they killed 20 uh, soldiers for every soldier we killed now uh, oh yeah well, uh, 20 million Russians or more died. And, right. Uh, there was war. The, yeah. the, the war with between the Nazis, well, uh, Nazi Germany and Russia uh, alone is the, the, the largest war ever on the face of the earth. I mean, the battle, like the top 10 battles in the history of the world are happened there. And they moved their entire industrial center 8,000 miles or something across the country. It was just an unbelievable effort on their part. Uh, and, um, but, you know, uh, people did not want to be under the Soviet Union when they were getting liberated. And the, the, no. uh, the, you know, there's very good argument that Japan did not uh, capitulate uh, at the end of the war because of the nuclear bombs, but because the Russians were were rushing at them. Russians were coming down in China. They, they did not want to be taken over by Russia. They wanted to be taken over by the United States. And uh, apparently <laughs> that, that, is, that is proven if you look at the... Um, uh, I've read about this at the, the, the meetings of the top decision makers in Japan at the end. They're talking about Russians and they're, they're not talking about, uh, so much about the two nuclear bombs that have gone off. Um, and, uh, you know, there were all these, uh, German, uh, yeah. uh, scientists who, uh, among the Werner von Braun, who, uh, uh, escaped from uh, at the end of the war and and after the war to to be on the american side rather than the russian side so um mm -hmm. and there were people like Patton who wanted us to immediately uh turn uh, join with the germans uh, and fight against russia <laughs> oh my god <laughs> uh yeah but but russia did uh, I, I feel like uh, a lot of the Cold War happened because um, uh, Harry Truman was made the vice president under Roosevelt instead of, oh, God, what was that guy's Wallace. name? His, Wallace. Wallace. 
it wasn't it Wallace? Yeah. Was he Roosevelt's? For the first three times, it was Wallace, and he was a wonderful, inspiring person. Um, he almost became, got it. He came within one, like a minute, if they hadn't grabbed the, the microphone from Adlai Stevens or whoever. I think they want. I think Adlai Stevens or somebody wanted to move that he be named vice president, but the you know the, the upper upper echelons of the Democratic Party didn't want. They wanted a more right wing guy. You know? Yeah. Uh, and um, anyway, apparently we could have made much better deals with Russia and uh, at the end of the war. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to get involved in those arguments. It's too late. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a long. It's a. It's another five hours, but we don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and and, and I, I was just saying. Um. I. I was just saying. I sort of. Maybe I didn't really talk. I'm sure if I had talked to Eric Arno. You know, I might have some differences of opinions. I guess. I'm different from most people. As I don't. I mean, some of my friends see things very black and white with the Ukraine thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I see the black and white side, and I. I I feel for the Ukrainian people and it's it's not it's appropriate that they would want to not be under Putin's Russia current, yeah yeah uh the but, other side of it is, there's that side the other side of it is it is a bit of a proxy war and I would like to see I would like to see the war end for yes Yes. In a good way, yeah. I don't. Yes. It's, it's really, it's really awful, and um, it's dangerous. Like you say, yeah, it could lead to a accidental nuclear war. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Um, yeah. I. My primary concern actually is the survival of of uh, the human race and the biosphere and other forms of life and it's all extremely threatened right now and i yeah i i think uh there there are things we won't sacrifice that might uh help uh the human race survive uh you know principles we won't give up uh a japanese very close friend of mine, a neighbor where we lived, said to me once, she said, well, the thing about America is America is uh, is uh, you know, they, they, they don't care about people, they care about principles. And uh, hmm, I said, really? Because, you know, uh, when I grew up, it was always that Asians just regarded people as ants, and they were all uh, uh, expendable. She said, yeah, well, look at the difference in the hostage situation. When Japanese were hostages, hostages were taken in Iran, uh, we sent somebody over and they came back with them and just told them what they wanted to hear and did what they wanted. America stood up to its principles and the hostages had to stay there, <laughs> you know, a couple of years or whatever. <laughs> and... And then the Reagan people came along and, and uh, 
paid, made a deal with the Rand not to let him go until after the election. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that was awful. Yeah. And then they make that movie Argo, and, and this, this is just like the thing with the United people in the United States thinking that we won uh, World War II, uh, you know, uh, and some other countries just didn't have the amount of power we did. And it was because of us on D-Day and all that. Uh, uh, well, not to detract from what we did, which was enormous, but uh, that movie Argo showed uh, the, the CIA and Americans getting the hostages out when it was Canada who did it. Uh, yeah, um, um, Hollywood takes credit away from other countries and other people and gives it to America all the time. But yeah. again, uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with uh, survival of uh, the biosphere. Uh, <laughs> so I should give all that um, up. <laughs> well, no. But if the yeah, well, it's how to be functional and work in society to move things in a good direction. Um, I I'd like to follow. There's a I don't know if you're familiar with Yanis Varoufakis. No, um, he's no. A, Yanis Varoufakis was um, well, he was like in Greece. I don't know if you know the story of Greece. Greece, you know, gets has a hard time economically, and then what happens is the 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 banks, the European banks, the powers that be, what they do is they say, well, here's a bailout. Here's here's thirty billion dollars, and then within a few days, all the thirty billion dollars really ends up back in German banks. You know, it's kind of a it's kind of like a, a cyclic door. You know, it doesn't really. Be, it doesn't really help the Greek economy. It's like it helps the bankers and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. and then and then what the what the what the EU says to Greece is it says, Well, you got these debts, you need to um like privatize your water system and your harbors and your airports and sell them to a private guy and then take that money and give that to us, you know. The the um the World Bank does that too, so it's like this austerity thing, and um so there was this kind of there was this kind of party left wing party that rebelled against that Syriza in 2015, and then they had a finance minister Yanis Varoufakis, and he tried to negotiate a different settlement, but the 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 EU went back down. It just rammed this thing down people's throat, and um. Yanis Varoufakis, he um, he's like an economist. He he had to, he resigned from his cabinet post, but um, he seems to be a little bit more like a Pratyeka Buddha to me. You know, he's not mm. a Buddhist, obviously. Mm. But um, I, I read his books, but I think there's there's paths to paths, nonviolent paths to being active and proposing things that are economically fair for people and helping people. But, uh, I, I don't know if we could 
it's getting too late to go in that now, but anyway. Yeah. Well, look. You, might, you and your friends might look at Yanis Varoufakis because he's a, he's a cool guy. But, uh, huh. Well, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe I'll, uh, maybe uh, uh, some people will pick up on that. So, Jim, yeah. Uh, yeah. listen, uh, is there anything it's else? Getting you... time for lunchtime there, right? <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's what getting time? lunchtime in Bali. Oh no! It's 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 about um, you know twenty till eleven or something. Ten to eleven your time and ten to eleven our time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh right, right. We're twelve hours off. Uh, Is there anything you'd like to say in in conclusion, Jim? Let's see as I go. Well, um, my gratitude to Zen Center. Of course, to Suzuki Roshi, Richard Baker, um, Adagiri Roshi, um, Paul, and Lancaster, but also just all the people, just to the whole Sangha, you know, I feel a deep gratitude towards the Sangha, and especially the real Sangha I knew in San Francisco, and to you, and I'm grateful to you, you know, you're, you kind of have a down-to-earth spirit that kind of rips through a lot of stiff stuff and that's kind of healthy for people. Huh. Bob Halpern had that too. Bob, Bob Halpern did a lot of good too. <laughs> yeah. Along those lines. Yeah. yeah. So I just have one big thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Well, thank you, Jim. That was good. I'm, I'm really, I'm really impressed to hear your, your, Doctoring away over there on the East Coast, really good. And um, may your uh, may your uh, light continue shining on the East Coast. I hope I hope it's the light. But anyway, I, I feel pretty humble about it. But anyway, um, well, you always were. You always were. Yeah. Uh, which is good, yeah. Okay, but take care. Yeah, you take care. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. So thanks a lot, Jim Musman. Very interesting. Good for you. Thanks a lot. You are uh, an engaged Buddhist, indeed, doing good deeds. Uh Jim was always a very good person. Does not have a bad bone. Uh, okay. This has been a Kuk Audio podcast. I'm DC Poobah of Kuk Audio and Kuk Archives. Coming to you from Sleepy Sanur with Doggy Bandita, Fila and Kuchita, and dear lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening.